set up here. Okay, good evening everyone. It's um, really good to uh, have this opportunity and I don't take it lightly. And um, I'll just start by saying that this message that I'm bringing tonight, um, as I've, as I've uh, prepared for it, it's really been one of those which has challenged me a lot as, you know, can I preach these things and, uh, and yet am I doing it myself? And um, so I'm preaching to myself tonight and I'll just say that from, from the off. Um, if you could please turn uh, in your Bibles to Hebrews, to the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Um, chapter 4 as well will be in focus tonight. But actually, just to the end of chapter 3, we'll pick up the reading for context. So that will be Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 15. Uh, it says there, While it is said, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that come out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he, was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? So we shall see, so, so, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we have believed, for we who have, who have believed do enter into rest, as he has said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world." For he spake in a certain place on, of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some enter therein, and they, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief, again he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, today after so long a time, as it is said, today... If ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus, it should say Joshua there, um, so if, for, for if Joshua had given them rest, then would not after, afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he hath also ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And we'll just stop there and pray. Father, we just thank you for your word tonight, and um, we recognize that when we read a chapter like this, it seems um, difficult on the surface, but Lord, I pray that you would just help me by your spirit tonight to, to open up these, these things and that they would uh, speak to each of us tonight where we're at, and Lord, that we would go away tonight just um, being encouraged in who you are, and um, understanding more of what this rest is, and Lord, that yeah, just that you would speak through me tonight, that we would, um, yeah, um, that anything I say that would not be true, that that would be quickly forgotten, but Lord, that that which is true would be held on to, and that you would be glorified in all things through this word tonight, in Jesus' name, Amen. 
So tonight I recognize that I'm jumping into um, an epistle, and each epistle has a specific purpose, as all scripture does. So let me just say a couple of things about the book of Hebrews. Um, In chapter 1 and verses 1 through through 2, it basically says this, that God hath spoken unto us in these last days by his Son. And then near the close of the book, in chapter 12 and verse 25, it says, See that ye refuse him not that speaketh. So in other words, the theme of this book seems to be, God has spoken. We have his word. We have his promises. Will you trust him? And will you trust him whatever your circumstances are? Now this was important since these Hebrew Christians were facing tremendous persecution. A great persecution for their faith. And as a result of this persecution, they were now considering to return to their old way of living, to Judaism. Now they thought that they could give up their salvation temporarily, go back into Judaism, and then at another time, accept Christ again. And the writer says to them, this isn't possible. And rather he encourages them to press on in their faith since what they have in Christ is far superior. It's far superior over the Hebrew system of religion. And uh, he does this through different exhortations and warnings that are found in this book. And I think they have huge uh, application for us today, as all scripture does. And uh, let's just say this, for for the passage that we're looking at tonight, There's a few things that are important for us to understand. It's important that we understand the background, which is the Exodus uh, generation and their flight uh, through Israel and their experiences of unbelief in the wilderness. And there are great spiritual lessons from the geography of Israel's experiences. The nation's bondage in Egypt is an illustration of a sinner's bondage in the world. And much as Israel was delivered from Egypt by the blood of lambs and the power of God, so a sinner who believes Christ is delivered from the bondage of sin. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, whose death and resurrection have made our our deliverance from sin a reality. It was not God's will that Israel, though, would remain there in the wilderness or in Egypt, His desire was that they would enter into a glorious inheritance in the land. And uh, what we find of this generation, though, is as they got to the border of that inheritance, they delayed because they doubted the promise of God. Due to their unbelief, they died in the wilderness and never entered the rest that God had offered to them. And it's with that example in view that these Hebrew Christians and us by application are strongly encouraged not to fall according to the same example. In this passage, really what we find is simply this, that since creation, God rested from his works and he's offered a rest. And then we had this offer to Israel to enter into this rest, but they didn't enter in. And then, through David, in Psalm 95, he's spoken and said, but there's another day, 
another day, and it's called today that we can enter this rest. And then it says in verse 8 that even Joshua, when they entered the promised land, they didn't fulfill the entering of this rest. So, what is this rest? And just before we do that, let's ask tonight, are you a tired believer? I can tell you I'm tired these days, (laughs) for obvious reasons. And rest, that sounds quite inviting. But maybe you're a struggling believer tonight. Doesn't rest then sound encouraging? Maybe you're a believer who's going through trials, having worries or anxieties. Doesn't rest sound exactly like what you need? Well, I want to say that this rest, it's available to us. Because that's the subject of this passage. And hopefully you've, you've seen as, uh, as we went, read through that this word rest is, is, is mentioned nine times. And when you have a word like that, it's very clear this is what we're, we're talking about here. And um, eight times it's one word in the Greek, and one time it's another word. On that one occasion in verse 9, it's the word sabbatismos. It's speaking of the Sabbath rest of God. But the predominant word is kataporsis. Kata means down. Pauses is where we get the word pause. It means to cease from something, but actually to cease down, to settle down. Well, imagine resting down, like when we lie down. When you lie down, you rest from activity, and you lie down on something else that you depend upon, and you rest. And this is the word that's predominantly used in the chapter. So the meaning of rest involves cessation of work or labor. It's got involved with it freedom of worries or anxiety, a sense of confidence, peace, inner stability, and it involves depending upon someone else or something. When you rest, you cease from work or labor, and when you are truly at rest, you are free from worries. This doesn't mean that your life is free of troubles, but that despite your circumstances, you have rest. There is a sense of confidence, like when you lie on a bed, you have confidence that the bed will sustain you. I mean, have you ever tried to lie on something that just feels like it's shaky? It makes you really uncomfortable. You can't rest. And so this is what rest involves. But what is it referring to in this passage? And I've got to say that's of great debate amongst commentators. And so if you've studied this yourself, you might disagree with me tonight. Um, but I'll make a case for what I, what I believe. And the first thing is, is that people say this is about justification, about the moment that you come to know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. But just look at Hebrews uh, chapter 3, verse 1. As these believers are addressed, they are exactly that. They are believers. Because it says there that they're holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. So in my opinion, this audience are already saved people. Now, someone could say, if they believe that, that we need to maintain our salvation through good works. But I don't believe such a thing. 
You see, the moment that we're saved, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that's the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. We read in Ephesians. Now, also, if that were true, how do you know if you're ever saved? How faithful do you have to be for you to know I am still saved? And with that in mind, Second Peter, uh, sorry, 2 Timothy 2, chapter th- uh, verse, verse 3 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So even if we aren't faithful in our lives as Christians, he's faithful. He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So I don't believe this rest is about justification rest. Now some say it's then heaven. But the illustration comes from the land of Canaan. Now when we think of Canaan, Canaan was a place that had enemies in the land. There were battles and there were defeats. I don't think that's a great illustration of heaven. And when we see in verse 7 that this offer of rest is offered today. We, w- we won't enter heaven today unless you die today. And with the same thing in mind, the millennial kingdom is another option that people think. Now it's certainly true as we walk with the Lord and and if we're faithful to him, if we uh, yield to him and we serve him as he wishes, there's a we can have a full reward depending on how we walk. But I don't think that's in view here today either because of this word today. But I believe this is talking about the daily faith rest life. It's the, it's the, the daily walk with the Lord. It's when the believer walks by faith in dependence upon God, in fellowship with him, yielding to his will, And as they do that, they enjoy inner peace, joy, and stability. That's the rest being referred to here. Not something in the future, but something that can be entered into today. And like you trusted Christ for salvation, you learn to trust him every day. And what we're going to find is that this rest is entered into by faith, not by sight. You see, when you enter heaven... You will enter heaven by sight. And when you enter the millennial kingdom, we'll be returning with the bride of Christ, as the bride of Christ with him, to enter that on earth. We will enter that by sight. But this, I believe, is something we enter by faith. And I believe the rest of Canaan for Israel now serves as a picture of the spiritual rest we find in the Lord. Let's look at verse 1. Um, as we just begin to look at these scriptures. But I will say tonight, I'm not really going to go through this verse by verse, but just look at the theme that comes out here um, and do that tonight. But I will start with verse 1 and say this. It says, let us therefore fear. And this word fear is that it involves being deeply concerned. You know, we should be deeply concerned that we might fall short of entering this rest. Now, the rest is called his rest. And that's important to note. It's not only called that in verse 1, but in verse 10. It says, For he that has entered into his rest, 
he hath also ceased from his own works. It's not our rest, it's his rest. It's not something we work for, but it's something that he's provided for us. And it's very important we recognize that, because what tends to happen is, when we're saved by grace, and we begin to live our Christian lives, we then find that we're living by law. And remember, this is what the Hebrew Christians were contemplating doing, by going back to the system of works under Judaism. Now, why is it that we do that? Well, I believe it's because the gospel of grace is completely against our nature. You know, our natural man says, what must I do to earn that? What must I do to merit that? Because that's what life's like in this world. You only get what you earn. And that's our natural way of thinking. But when we think of salvation, salvation comes in three stages. The first is justification. And as I've said, I don't believe that's what's in view here. But justification is when the unsaved, hopeless, helpless sinner comes to understand the gospel and understands that Jesus Christ died for their sins and rose again, that he died for their sins, past, present, and future, and at the moment they place faith, their confidence, their trust in Christ, and in his finished work alone, then they are justified. They are saved from the penalty of sin. They now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5, 1. And they fulfill what Matthew 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, when you're working for your salvation, when you are laboring, when you are trying to earn it, when you are trying to merit it, there's never any rest. But when you see that Christ did it all, that it's finished, that it's paid for, that you simply have to trust him and put your faith in him alone, there's rest. You can know you are saved. You can know that you're going to heaven because it's not dependent on your performance, but what he's performed on the cross for you. Christ did it for me and I have simply trusted in him and received it as a gift of his grace. And you could call that justification rest. But now we are justified, God wants to teach us sanctification rest. This is the second stage of salvation. And it's now dealing with learning to live a life of faith in the Lord, as set forth by his word and enabled by God's spirit. But, you know, as Christians, we have three enemies, the flesh, which is our sin nature that's still there, and it's trying to pull me in a me-first direction. You have the world that distracts us with all its wrong thinking, and the God of this world, the devil. We have our own trials and the decisions that we face each day. And the Lord wants to teach us that as insufficient as we were to save ourselves from hell, we're just as insufficient to live the Christian life each day without us relying on him to work in us and through us. And I believe this is the sancti- uh, it's the sanctification rest that's in view here in Hebrews 4. But before we go on to that, let me say this, that in, antes- in anticipation, um, 
One day, we will experience glorification rest. And that's the third stage of salvation. And uh, in he- uh, Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13. Revelation fourteen thirteen, and it says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. This is the rest of glorification, a rest when one goes to heaven. But in Hebrews 4, it's sanctification rest in view. It's where amongst the activity of life, even possible trials, we, we are faced each day, moment by moment, the opportunity to find present rest in God. And just like our justification, the only condition for entering it is faith. Have a look at verse 2 of our chapter in Hebrews 4. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Here we have the, the term, the gospel, and we know that the gospel just means good news. And so here, the gospel means the good news of his rest. This was preached to them, the Israelite uh, generation, the wilderness generation, but it did them no profit at all because they didn't believe it. What this tells us is, first of all, God's word has to be taught. It has to be preached. Then it has to be heard, and we have to believe it. And I want us to look back at the scene there for application to our lives today of Numbers 13. Numbers 13 and 14 is where we see the historical account of this situation. And I think that if we do that, we can see these things better tonight. As we've said earlier, these people have come out of Egypt. They have crossed the Red Sea. It's an analogy of how we have crossed from death to life and have a new position in Christ. Now, lots of people don't think that necessarily this generation was saved. But in Exodus 14 and verse 30 and 31... When God saved the Israelites from the Red Sea out of Egypt, sorry, saved them from Egypt through the Red Sea, it says this in Exodus 14, 30, verse 31. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the, upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. They believed the Lord. And that word there is the exact same word as when it says that Abraham believed the Lord. And so I believe that, of course, salvation is an individual response to God. But there were certainly individuals in this generation that had responded to God. They were now believers. They had seen God do amazing things. And now, they're starting to walk on their journey of faith. And guess what? They fail. They fail sometimes. And God provides time and time again. But let me say this tonight. 
they didn't fail to enter the promised land because of their failures. God knows we're going to fail. We can have assurance of that tonight. We're going to mess up. And God doesn't condemn us when we mess up. We can find forgiveness again. We can confess our sins and we have the promise that he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness again. But here, that wasn't the problem. It wasn't their failures that they messed up, but it was that they failed to believe God that they, en- they didn't enter this rest. So, in, in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, we read this. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every, of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. Now, I want us to see here, first of all, in verse 1, uh, sorry, in verse 2, that the command is very clear. Send thou men that they may search out the land, one man from every tribe. But verse 2, the promise is also clear. To a land which I am giving to the children of Israel. is a promise. I'm going to give it to you. So why then did God send out these spies to view the land? Well, I don't know, but maybe he wanted to test their faith. Why does God send us trials in our life? He knew that they were immature, maybe, and that they were still living by sight. And he wanted to show them that so that they might come to know him better. And then verse 3, we see that Moses sent them as the Lord commanded. Moses followed the Lord's instruction. You see, as we walk by faith, it's not that we're not doing anything. It's not that we're not serving him. But it's that we walk by faith, relying on the Lord as he leads us according to his word. And then we step out by faith. And he, you see, Moses did that. He, he did exactly what God had said. He didn't question it. He didn't say, um, are you sure that we should do it that way? Um, should we send maybe 15 people? Should we add one? He also didn't delay. He did it straight away. He trusted that God knew what he was doing. You see, God's will, God's way, with a yielded attitude and a response of faith, that's all God's looking for from us. But often our problem is that we're trying to help God out. You see, we've recognized justification. It was 100% God's work. We just trusted in him. And now we have this new standing. But now we're Christians. We want to serve him. And we have this, this enthusiasm to serve the Lord. But then what we do is we start to serve him and we think, oh, God needs my help. That's what we're doing. God's, God's asked me to do this. And uh, I obey and, and I'm helping God out like God needs me. Um, I don't know if, if, if it's like that for you, but it certainly is um, maybe when you first come to the Lord. And uh, what God's trying to teach us is it's not like that. Because when you do that, what happens? You fail. You fail time and again. You know, you say, 
God, your word says this, and I want to do that. And then you mess up, and then you, then you promise God, oh, I'll never do that again. God, I'll never do that. I mean, how is that working out for you? We then find ourselves in that place again. And the thing is, that's where the enemy wants to have you. Because what happens is, when you fail, you then start to think, maybe God's angry with me because I've messed up again. And then we withdraw ourselves from God. But you know, it's not that way. God wants us to just trust him. And it's a subtle difference. We're to serve him, but it's motivated by love through relationship. It's this new position we have in Christ. If we look at Galatians in chapter 2, I'll just, you don't have to go there. I can, I can just read it. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. It says there, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, I am crucified with Christ. As a Christian today, that's your position. And yet, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's your new power. You see, now you're empowered by the fact that God lives in you. And that's an amazing thing. And what we do is, we see that it's not I that live, uh, sorry, which, sorry, I now live this life in the flesh, but I live it by faith in the Son of God. So we see that the new life is also by faith. It's now by faith in the Son of God. And it's because he loved me and he gave himself for me. And that's what I say is that's the new motivation. It's God loved me. And as we walk with the Lord, we realize more and more his love for us. And that's what becomes the motivator for us to serve him. You see, God has prepared us. Um, he's, he's, he's formed us that we would walk um, in good works um, that they have been prepared before for us. It's not that we're not to serve, but that we do it by faith in the Son of God, motivated by love. Just coming back to Numbers 13 now. In verses 4 through 16, we have the 12 spies that are mentioned. And if you're like me, probably you just remember two of them. This is because only Caleb and Joshua walked by faith in the Lord. And so when people look back on our lives, will we be remembered as people who walked by faith in the Lord? Will our friends, will our children say that about us? And then in verses 17 through 20, these 12 spies were told what things to look for when they spied out the land. It says there, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, Get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is, uh, sorry, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood 
therein or not, and be of good courage, and bring off the fruit of the land. Now the time of the sorry, now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they're told what to look for in the land. And then verse twenty five tells us that they did that for forty days, so they had a thorough investigation. And then we come to the report in verses twenty six through twenty nine. It says, And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of Israel and the, unto the wilderness of Paran to, get, to Kadesh. And they brought back word unto them and to, unto, unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sent us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walked and very great, and moreover we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Now, what I want to say at this point is all 12 spies, they agree with that report. They all agreed what the land looked like. They all agreed with what God had said. Because he had said it was like that. However, how they would interpret the evidence was very different. And it's like us in life when we have trials. How we perceive the trial may be very different to someone else. You see, the spiritually minded believer might see the trial as an opportunity to trust the Lord, to prove the will of God, and see what amazing God... uh, see amazing things God is going to do through it. Whereas someone who isn't doing that can just feel sorry for themselves and they can miss the opportunity of what God's trying to teach them. Now Caleb, he was the first to give his individual response. And what did he say? He stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it for we are well able to overcome it. Now, Caleb was so confident. Why? Well, I think it helps to look into chapter 14 and verses 6 through 9. It says there, with Joshua and Caleb giving their report again, um, it says, They spoke unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delighteth in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defence is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. You see, they were so confident because their eyes were on the Lord. They were resting in God's promise, the promise back in verse 2, that he would give them the land. So they said, let's go. So he wasn't operating hastily or under presumption, but under faith and the provision of God, believing what God had said would be true. But then the majority response is quite different. The other 10 in verse 31 through 33 says but the men they went up with him uh, sorry but the men that went up with him said 
We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land by which we have gone to search, it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that saw it, uh, that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the, the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. You see, what's different about their response? Well, one factored in the Lord, and these, they didn't. They looked at their own strength. The others looked at God's strength. They rested in his promises. And tonight I wonder, in your daily circumstances and trials, what are you like? And I ask myself these things too. Are your eyes on yourself? Are you looking to carry the issues of life yourself? Are you looking to solve them in your own strength? Or are you convinced it's the will of God based on the word of God? Are you able to faith rest in what he could do and how he will fulfill his promises to you in his time? There's a song that I love that we sing here, Standing on the Promises of God. And there's some great lyrics in that song. Standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail by the living word of God I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I now can see, perfect present cleansing in the blood for me, standing in the liberty where Christ makes free, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to him eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, Resting in my Saviour as my all in all, standing on the promises of God. But when it comes to our trial, do we stand on his promises? Now we know in this account that unfortunately the majority view of the spies was the one that prevailed. They convinced the congregation of Israel to follow their report the ones that weren't focused on God. And as a result, they died in the wilderness. Huge consequences. I don't believe eternal, but physical consequences. Now, the example of Canaan and this rest that was offered there serves an example, serves as an example of our spiritual rest that can be fulfilled in Christ today for us. And this example was given to those Hebrew Christians because they were in danger of returning to that system of law. That system that relied on their performance that we know would result in failure. The law could never save but only point us to the need of a saviour. And now they're being encouraged to go on in Christ, resting from their works. You see, friends, often our Christian lives They can be very dry, like we're in the wilderness. And many Christians live in defeat. And it's sad, because God doesn't want that for us. Jesus said, I've come to give you life, and life abundantly. 
He wants us to experience a victorious life as we abide in Him. When we obey Him, our joy can be complete. But many live in defeat, I think, because they're striving, not abiding. They are trying and not trusting. Trying to merit God's blessings. But you see, when we're saved, we receive all spiritual blessings. Second Peter also says, His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He has given unto us exceeding and precious promises. And we can claim those by faith. Tonight, are we doing that? Are you resting in his promises? Are you reading his word? Are you getting to know those promises? And just in closing, I want us to look at one promise of faith, uh, sorry, that one promise of, of God's word that we can claim by faith tonight. And that's Isaiah chapter 26. It's a very familiar verse. Verses, uh, verses 3 and 4. But it's just to give an example of what I'm talking about here. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. It says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. You see, this is a promise given by God's word. And I just want us to look at it carefully. In verse 3, the subject of the promise is God. Thou. The content of the promise is he will keep him in perfect peace. And what's the condition? Whose mind is stayed on you. Not ourselves, not our circumstances, but stayed on the Lord. Because that's when we have rest. And how does it come about? Through trust. Trust ye. Sorry, I'm looking on. Because he trusteth in thee. So the subject is God, and the condition is that we stay focused on him, and we do it through faith. Again then in verse 4, it starts with trust. Believe. Well, believe in what? In the Lord. Trust ye in the Lord. And how long should you be doing that for? Forever. Moment by moment. Why? Because he's everlasting strength. Which happens to be the exact thing that I need. Because on my own, I'm very weak. Now there's just two verses. And of course, how many promises are there in scripture for us? But I just want us to see that it's always just about taking it by faith. By believing it. It's not about trying, it's about trusting. We need to mix his word with faith. Let's be a people that do that. 
And if we do, we'll experience his rest in each and every day. Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you tonight for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the the many promises that you have given unto us and that they're ours to claim because of our standing tonight in Christ Jesus. Lord, we are just nothing before you. We're so helpless we are. We have nothing to offer you. We could never have saved ourselves. And Lord, even in our Christian lives, we can't do it dependent on our strength. But we're just so thankful tonight that you are an ever-present help with us. Help us to, to learn about you more through your word, to learn more of the God that we serve, that we would be motivated by love to serve you. And that, Lord, we would ultimately trust you. Because in these days, that's going to be the most important thing. The world is always going to be against us. But, Lord, we just thank you for your promises, and we pray that you would help us by your Spirit to trust them. In Jesus' name, amen.